Hello, listeners. This is Johnny Gwynn, the producer of Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. Brian is still dealing with some COVID issues, and while he's on the mend, he's still having some issues with his voice. So that's why we've put together this Tales from the Tournaments episode, and we picked a couple segments from past shows that dives into the world of fishing tournaments. So until next week when Brian gets back with a regular show, we hope you enjoyed this week's report. Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, presented by Geico of Mobile. The first podcast to bring you the local fishing report of Alabama lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. This week's episode brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you hunt or fish Alabama or in the deep south, you know that it's different down here. Spawning seasons, patterns, food sources, they ain't the same down here as in other parts of the country. At Great Days Outdoors Magazine, Southern Outdoors writers pick the brains of the best Southern hunters and anglers and give you the best how-to, where-to, and when-to articles, along with so much, much more. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors Magazine subscription and become a better Southern Outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors Magazine can be found at your local Barnes & Nobles, Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rule King, Bass Pro Shops, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And brought to you by Sun South. From outdoor equipment, parts, services, accessories, Sun South has you covered on the best for less. Visit Sun South or sunsouth.com for quality John Deere equipment. Sun South for those that do. I'm your host, Brian Sin, and today we are joined by our co-host, Norman Latona. What's going on, Norman? Hey, Brian, how are you? Good to be here. We're going to jump right to this thing, Norman. On our first segment today, we are are very excited and honored to have Stetson Blaylock on here. Stetson, what's going on, man? Hey, guys. I'm glad to be here. Glad that y'all having me on. It's uh, it's that time of year, you know. We've... uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm ready to get back after this tournament season. And uh, you know, the classic was a seems like a distant memory now. Back in March, so it's time to get back on the trail. Well, man, you brought the classic up. Let's stay right there for a minute. Congratulations, brother, man! Uh, what, number three finisher there. That's uh, that that ain't nothing to sneeze at there, man. Congrats on that. That's a big deal. I appreciate it. Yeah, that you know, I think uh, for me, being my first classic. Uh, being the 50th Bassmaster Classic, I think that says enough right there. Just fishing for as long as I have, having the confidence that I could make that tournament and actually compete in that tournament has always been there. But actually getting on that stage, being there that week and enjoying everything that, that was, you know, that Birmingham and Lake Gunnersville had to offer, it was pretty special just to, uh, just to be able to represent myself and my family and sponsors and just everybody that's involved with my team. My question is, with this being your first one, the 50th anniversary, I mean, was it what you thought it was going to be? It was exactly what you said. Ever since I was, gosh, I guess seven, eight, nine, ten years old, I have not necessarily dreamed of being on that stage, but just wanted to experience the Bassmaster Classic and wanted to experience that stage presence and and understand and respect what that stage means to every angler that's crossed it. And for me to finally get to do it at a place like Lake Gunnersville and in the 50th Classic, it it was one of those moments that, it was one of those weeks, not necessarily moments, but weeks that I'll never be able, no matter how many classics I qualify, I'll never be able to relive what happened that week. Absolutely, man. Well, amen to that. I, I, I'm, uh, I know that was a thrill for you, and not only for you, but for your family to, to be able to be a part of that and see it. And I know that was a special moment. When you show up and roll in with that big rig to uh, and drop it in the water, what going into it was your thought process? And talk to us about what your strategy was going in, and then maybe how that may have changed through the week. Well, it was no no surprise to me to going into that tournament understand that a bridge could play a big part in that tournament. And I practiced some on the bridges, but I really wanted to stay, not necessarily stay away from pressured waters, but stay away from a place that could hit or miss. You could catch them or you could absolutely fall on your face. I wanted to go into it 
with areas that I knew I could catch some fish. And I tell you, I, I got on the whole grass bite in practice. It wasn't great, but you could, and it wasn't like there was concentrations of fish, but you could get bites in those grass bed patches, whatever you want to call it, consistently enough to make me feel like if I just stuck with that all week, I could have a really strong chance at having a, you know, it, you never know if you're going to have a chance to win, but you just want to have an opportunity to be there on the final day with a chance to win. And, you know, it was crazy because we had some pretty cold weather leading up to it. But the day before the tournament started on our official day of practice, the fish kind of, the water warmed up a little bit and there was a lot of fish moving in the backs of the creeks and actually feeding on shad like schooling. And that was kind of a, a little plan B that kind of turned into plan A for starting the first day of the classic. And I actually caught a limit in the first hour that first day and that really set the tone i, I caught those fish in the back of a, a well-known creek they were actually chasing shad but that first morning of the classic it got cold again so those fish kind of backed back off and they were just kind of setting in a little depression in there and i was catching them on a, a booty hard knocker and just a shad color just casting in there and kind of yo-yoing it through those fish caught a limit really quick and that again that set the tone uh, then I kind of started running the grass beds. I was throwing a new bait that all I had at the time was prototypes. It's called a Norman Speed In, and that bait was absolutely the perfect bait for the way those fish were setting up in that grass. It was kind of a, a tight action. It did have a rattle to it, but it was real subtle. It wasn't real loud and raspy like most rattle baits or crank baits that people throw that time of the year. So I was able to really dissect those grass patches and be able to get bites that I feel like a lot of guys weren't able to get just because I had a bait that they weren't throwing. And a lot of, again, I think they were biting other things, but confidence is a huge part of what we do. And just having the confidence that I could stick with those grass bed areas. And I stayed in areas that were popular. I didn't, I didn't sway and try to try to find something off the wall. I just kind of hunkered down in those areas that I knew had fish from years and years past in history, and uh, it just paid off. You know, I imagine that that is a that's a big deal putting your mind at ease when you're able. You said you're able to 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 catch a limit in the first hour. I mean that that's got to take a lot of the pressure off and help you relax tremendously. I I I'd, I'd love to give us a little insight into the mental aspects of big time bass tournament angling like tell us tell us about the mental and even the physical battles you face that the average non-professional angler might not even be aware of sure well it's easy for guys to say and i hear this all the time man you have a dream job and i would love to do that for a living and that's that there's there's no truer words that could be spoken but i will say the average angler has no idea the physical strain that it puts on your body to practice three or four days straight from daylight till dark. You get very little sleep. You start an event at daylight and you go right from practice hard physical right into the tournament days, which is still hard physical, but it, it, it translates into physical and mental once you get into the tournament days because now you have to not only physically withstand that eight, nine hour day, but you have to mentally prepare yourself for the the goods and the bads and the struggles and the triumphs of that day that you don't even know what's coming yet. And, and talk, going back to that first day of the classic, I was just like every other angler in that tournament, especially the, the first timers, and that first morning takeoff, I was wired up. I was nervous, anxious, <laughs> excited. All those emotions rolled into one. Tired from, from the lack of sleep and just running and going and, and everything that's involved with that week of the Classic that I was just kind of not necessarily running on adrenaline, but I was just so ready to get started that you always want to start off on a good foot, per se, and being able to pull in that area and it wasn't right off the bat, but after, you know, five, ten minutes of fishing around, I kind of figured out where those fish had moved to. 
and then being able to put a lemon in the boat and not to mention that it was a limit that weighed like 14 pounds so just in your mind you're thinking i know it's early i know it's the first day but i've set the tone in a positive way and then the mental side of it basically washes away and now you just have to do your job and catch every bite you can and make the right decisions throughout that day and that's what people from the outside looking in really don't understand is it's never easy no matter if it's going good I've had some really good tournaments where I've started the day off catching 20 21 pounds in the first 30 minutes and knowing that you're going to be sitting in a good spot at the end of that day but now you've got eight, seven and a half hours, seven hours of your day left to try to figure out things for the next day. Or how can I take this success and move it into the, to the next day, to the next day, to the final day that's actually standing there holding that trophy. And there's so many things mentally and physically that go into it. It's really funny to take somebody that thinks they want to do it and take them on like a three-day fun fishing trip where you drag them up early and keep them out late and keep them out there in the middle of the day when it's 90 degrees or it's or it's 40 degrees. It doesn't take but a couple of days to where they're saying, man, I'm glad I don't have to do this every day. So there's, there's a lot <laughs> more to you. it than what people think. People don't realize that aren't there that this, and you said the word a while ago, job. It's a job now, and, and it's not just the physical demands of the job. I mean, through like he, you know, like he was talking about, you got spring training, then you got 168 games, and you got playoffs, then, you know, winter workouts. And it's, you know, in one day you go out, you may have a bad day, and you start, maybe you're questioning yourself, thinking, okay, man, how long am I going to be able to stay here in the big leagues? Is somebody going to, are they going to knock me out? Is somebody going to take my place? But it's not all glory. It's some it's some strain sure. involved in that too. And let me let me add this to it. Something we haven't mentioned yet is people don't realize that you know, like you mentioned baseball, those guys have an agent that helps handle all their off the field stuff that they have to do. Not very many anglers once they reach this level have what you would want to call an agent because the industry is so small that these companies, they don't want to deal with an agent. They want to speak to you. Yes, my wife helps me a lot. So she handles a lot of that stuff while I'm on the water. But you got to add that sponsor partnership side into it where once you get a good group of partners that support you, they always need something. All of them are always needing something. And you have to have ways to provide that, not to mention keeping your mental and physical side up while you're on the water. So that's just another aspect of it that even those baseball players don't have to really worry about as much as we do having to keep those companies renegotiating those deals every year, two or three years and, and making sure that we get them the content and the stuff that they need. It, it's a huge picture that a lot of people just see all they see is, us catching bass on TV and how fun that must be. And that's all they see. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, and I hadn't thought about that. That's a, that's a whole extra strain uh, is to keep that, that flow going in with, with, the, uh, with your advertisers and sponsors and things like that. I didn't even think about it. Well, let, let's go back to Gunnersville real quick. And, and so you were cranking grass mainly. Am I correct? Yeah, mainly. I, I had, like I said, I had a couple places where the fish were feeding on shad and I could pull in there and get a couple bites pretty quick if the shad were in there. But 90% of the fish I weighed, the quality fish came from that grass. How do you navigate grass with a crankbait as far as not getting grass? I mean, it, you know, not getting grass on your crankbait the whole time and, 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 and things like that. Is there a trick to that that I don't know? Well, it all depends on how deep the, the type of grass, the bait. That's one thing that I was so excited about going into that tournament is I knew I had the right bait. They hadn't seen that bait. I figured out that I could throw it on 20-pound test fluorocarbon and was able to keep that bait in that four- to six-foot grass. I could keep it right on top of the grass. And, yes, if you watch the live shows or you watch the – the actual show that aired, you will see a lot of, you know, wasted casts where you reel it in, there's grass on it. That's just part of the game. 
But I think the, the biggest thing to remember is, is you have to make those adjustments being a lot of the time I was holding my rod tip at about a 1030 or 11 o'clock position, being able to keep it up above and throwing it on bigger lines. So it wasn't getting down and just digging in that grass. There was a lot of variables that went into that and just understanding that it's going to happen. You just have to make more casts than everybody else. So you make more effective casts. At Gunnersville, you know you're going to be fishing grass. You got that in your mind. You've got choices. You've got, you can throw spinner bait, chatter bait, jerk bait. What was it that made you go, you know what, I'm not going, I'm going to the crankbait? Well, it's funny you mention all those. I actually started practice with two of each of those two spinner baits, two vibrating jigs, two jerk baits, two or three or four crankbaits. And I actually had two lipless crankbaits. I had a Booyah hard knocker and a Booyah one knocker. And I feel like, again, I keep it simple. Even though that sounds complicated, I had two of each. I want to find out what style, what's going on. Do they want that jerk, jerk pause over the, over the grass? Do they want that vibrating jig just kind of fluttering through the grass? Do they want that lipless crankbait yo-yoed? Do they want it steady retrieve? And I tried all that stuff. And it, for me, it just came down to, I couldn't get bit on a lipless crankbait except every now and then. Now, I did weigh in a couple really key fish on it in the tournament, but it was still grass-related, and it was in areas that I realized fish were using more than others as the tournament progressed. But during practice, every time I picked up that uh, speed in, I was able to catch a three-and-a-half to five-pound fish on it. And it wasn't fast and furious in practice, but it was enough to let me know that, okay, I've tried this vibrating jig. I've tried two or three different colors. I haven't gotten any bites. I'm talking no bites. So a spinnerbait, if it was windy and there was a little color in the water, I could get a bite on a spinnerbait. But if I got in those clear areas, they wouldn't bite it as good. So you just have to, you have to eliminate the things that aren't working. And for me, that's what I do. That's how I keep things simple. If it's not working, I'm not throwing it. If I can get some bites on it, I know I only need five in a day, and I'm going to stick with those few things, whatever they may be. And for that tournament, for me, it was two lipless crankbaits, and it was the Norman Speed In. And I had I had a, a hard knocker that was a shad color, and I ended up catching some on a hard knocker that was, you know, the, the red crawl color. And for me, that's what the game's all about. Now, I had that Speed In in a bunch of different colors, but I got bit first on what they call chili bowl, which is a red crawl color, and I stuck with it. Yes, I mixed in some other colors, but every time I'd pick that one up, I would get another quality bite. And it's just using common sense for me, not making it, again, too complicated. Understand that they're telling you what they're wanting. You get a bite on something, it's not an accident. I don't think even one bite is an accident, and I think that's how – guys can really mess themselves up by thinking or hearing stories of you got to be throwing a red vibrating jig well not necessarily yes i got beat the guy finished second was throwing a red vibrating jig quite a bit but for me my confidence was in that crankbait and that's what worked and you know i just i just kind of broke it down throughout that week of practice to understand that i felt my confidence was going to be you know, the best and most well served with that bait in my hand. You let the fish dictate. I mean, you, you give them the, the, some smart options from years of experience, and then you let the fish dictate what you're going to key on. So you came to the, the realization that, hey, I'm, I'm catching more fish, better fish. This is, this is the bait I want to stick with right here. If you don't mind, walk us through kind of the, the equipment that – that you use when you're cranking from the you've talked a little bit about the crankbait sure go all the way back from the rod the reel the retrieve the line you use and i mean i'm sure there's specific reasons that you use all that and i would love to hear kind of the the insight on what you're how you rig the whole deal sure well this year as you guys know is uh i joined forces with academy sports and outdoors and not only that but i actually joined the h2o pro staff side of academy for rods and reels so this year i'm using all their rods and reels we're actually 
uh, working on some new stuff right now in their rods. And I'm really, really excited to be working with a company like that that has as big a footprint as they do in our sports. And they're letting me have a, a lot to say and input in what's going on. And here, here's how I was looking at this. I was throwing an, an Ethos HD reel. That's an H2O Express reel. And I was throwing it in a six, six to one gear ratio on that crankbait. And you say, well, why was you throwing it such a slow retrieve? Well, I had it paired on a seven three. It's a it's a new crankbait rod that they just put out in their Ethos HD lineup, and it was a good, I'm gonna say a, a heavier action crankbait rod. And what I was doing is I wanted it. I was throwing it on like I said, 20 pound. I was throwing it on CR and Vizex. And how I was able to to make it all work for me was casting that crankbait out there big line, slow reel. Even though I was moving fast, covering a lot of water, I was able to reel that, get that speed right with that slower retrieve reel to where I could keep that grass just below the bait. And occasionally I would hit the grass. It wasn't necessarily important to be t uh, hitting the top of it or ticking the top, as they say. It, I just needed to be close enough to where those fish would strike. And having a little bit stiffer rod, I was able to pop that bait out of the grass and clear the bait when I did get it on the bait. And so for me, all that together is what makes success and confidence. And I'll tell you another piece of that puzzle that was really important was I was throwing a uh, Gamakatsu uh, G Finesse snap on the front of that. And I feel like that snap was allowing that bait to stay clear of grass a lot better. And they, again, that was confidence. It has nothing to do with a science or a study I've done on it. It was just my confidence. I felt like I was staying clear of the grass better. Uh, another key that I was doing was I was using the new Gamakatsu G Finesse treble hooks. But now they make one that is a medium wire. So they came out with the, the, the light wire a few years back, but now they have one that's a medium wire and it's absolutely perfect for lipless crankbaits and crankbaits alike. And I just feel like all that working together, it's not about was what I was using the only thing that you could use that would work, absolutely not. But it was what was working for me and it gave me 100% confidence that I was gonna land the bites that I got that my bait was in the strike zone the maximum time that it could be and that I was going to actually have a chance at the end to be standing there on that final day. And that's exactly how it doesn't always work out like that. But this is one of those times where it was just spot on. Everything worked flawlessly. And, you know, there it was. Stetson, cha changing gears just a little bit. I'm a fisheries biologist. My background is in is in the science and in the resource management side of things. And I'm curious, what are you seeing regarding the resources out there, our, our bass fisheries and the water resources? It it sure seems like that, generally speaking, the resources are very healthy, uh, at least for the most part. And it, it seems like, uh, certainly on the, the professional angling side, you guys are, are catching bigger bags, more fish, bigger fish. Is that what you're seeing out there? I mean, t tell us what you're seeing across the country. Well, I think that the majority of the fisheries that I've been to are, are very, very well managed. I think that's the biggest thing is it's not necessarily the angling that's going on on those fisheries as much as what those each state's wildlife management people are actually doing. And I know on the, on the pro angling side of it, that Bassmaster has a great staff of people that takes care of these fisheries. And, and some of these tournaments, we have meetings specifically on how are we going to leave this lake better than we found it? And there's always things that we can all do better. But I'm going to tell you something. I feel like right now there are more fish being released after they're caught than there ever has been ever before. I think there's more anglers but there's a lot more catch and release going on. So when you see a picture of a, of a fish that dies, it's kind of a skewed view from the public eye because I feel like that 
there's way more fish being turned loose than there are going into the fried pan or going on the wall. And, and that's a great thing. But I can tell you right now that bass as a whole and us as anglers, we get penalized for having dead fish. For one, we can't throw dead fish back. So we do everything that we can to manage our fish personally, but they're only ours for a week. And we have to understand that when we're through with that lake, we want to make sure that every one of those bass goes back into that lake and they are successfully released and live to be caught the next time we go or for the next generation when they show up. And for me, I feel like that I've noticed it a lot in the last, I'm going to say three to five years, that the live release rates have went up tremendously. And there's so many things that, and this isn't necessarily for me because I understand these, but for the average angler that may be listening, there's so many things that you can do. Say you go fishing for fun and you you don't want to keep any fish, but you want to make sure like you catch a six or eight pounder and you want to take pictures of it. But you want to you want to go back to the ramp. You want your your mom, your brother, whoever's coming to take your picture, or whatever the case may be. You want to make sure if you put that fish in your live well that you do everything possible to release that fish alive and healthy. And some things that I do, and everybody's got their own opinion, but I use the TH Marine G juice, and that just keeps those fish calm in the live well. And it doesn't matter if you're tournament fishing or just fishing for fun. If you're going to put a fish in your live well, that stuff will really help. Uh, keep your live well cool. Not necessarily ice cold because you don't want to shock those fish, as you all know. But you want to keep it cool so they're, it, it's more stable to what they were caught in. You know, if that water temps 70, 80 degrees, you want to make sure that that water is not 98 in your live well. And just, just keep an eye on those fish. And I think if we all do that, I think the fisheries that we have right now are some of some of those lakes that we go to that are well-known fisheries are as strong as they've ever been. And I feel like you're seeing that a lot more, especially last year and this year with Bassmaster is the, is the live release uh, catch or rates are way down because we're all understanding that we have to do our part in making sure that the next generations, just like my son, he's seven years old, I want him to get to experience these quality fisheries that I've gotten to experience running all over the country. And I, I just feel like that right now it's as good as it's ever been. And my hat's off to everybody doing a great job and, and all these states that are taking care of these fisheries and, and making sure that their fishermen understand what's important and how to manage them properly. That, that's outstanding. You know, circling back real quick to something that I think maybe a lot of folks don't understand. Uh, you mentioned you guys cannot release dead fish. So in other words, you put a fish in your live well and it dies, you can't call that fish. You're stuck with that fish. Uh, and and that, that's a big right. deal. Certainly provides incentives to keep them healthy and alive. Well, yes, it does. And for one, the anglers that fish at this level, we, we throw them all back. We don't want anything happening to these fish. But we also understand that the reality of it is, is if you catch one, I've had fish die that there was nothing wrong with. The hook was hooked in the outside, in the edge of the lip, right there in the soft part of the skin. You put them in the live well, and in five minutes, they die. And that's just part of nature. I mean, a lot more fish, in my opinion, get caught by eagles and ospreys and turtles and whatever else is in the water, muskies, pikes. There's a lot of stuff that's lost to nature way more than a bass or two in a live well. And I just feel like that bass has set the standard with putting those penalties in place to where you do everything you can to make sure that those fish go back in the lake as alive and well as possible. Well, and you know, you I think part of it's a generational thing. I think it's a mix between education and generation. And what I mean by that is we've all been educated. We know how important it is to catch and release, especially the catch and release. And, and Norman, I know in your world and the pond management, it's a different thing than these large lakes. I mean, a certain amount of fish have to be taken out of those lakes uh, to manage them and keep those lakes healthy. But I think for most part, we've all been educated to the importance of catch and release, but you back up and look at like my dad, 
my daddy don't know what throwing a fish back means. He grew up in a generation, though, where he's eating fried food every meal anyway. I mean, he's frying, he's sure. catching them, he's cleaning them, and he's frying them. I think we're, and this is nothing against that generation, but I think that we're more, we don't eat as much fried food as the generation before us to start with. So huh. I'm not frying the fish I used to fry, even when I was younger. So if I'm not frying them, then I'm throwing them back. And I, I think, so I do think you see some generational uh, changes that are positive for the conditions of our lakes and fisheries around the country right now. Let me add this to this too, because I don't want people listening to think that, oh, well, this is another one of those pro anglers that don't want me eating his fish. First of all, they're not my fish. They're, they're everybody's fish to enjoy. And there are limits put in place so that people that want to eat them can eat them. And I am totally for if you want to keep a limit of bass, I don't know why you would when there's crappie in the lake, but that's not my business. <laughs> if you want to keep your limit of bass, keep your limit of bass. My thing is a bass that's over two and a half, three pounds does not taste that good anyway. So if you want to keep a limit of bass, go keep them, keep your limit, but throw those three and a half, four pounders back. I mean, those fish are the ones that are doing the most of your spawning anyway, and they're, they're, they're the ones that are regenerating that lake for the next generation of anglers so you know just be smart i mean keep your limit but just be smart with those big ones and enjoy them and catch them and you know enjoy the fight put them in your live well take a picture take care of them and turn them suckers loose absolutely man well, well stetson again buddy congratulations on your success uh through your career uh through the the classic on gunnerville we're we're glad you got to come to Alabama and, and have some success and enjoy our resources here. And, uh, man, we just wish you the best of luck and stay safe on the road and on the water out there. And, and man, I, I hope you'll jump back on here again sometime. It's been a pleasure having you and getting to talk with you. Can't wait. Hey, guys, thanks again for having me, and I look forward to the next time. Thanks, Stetson. We appreciate you, buddy. Thank you, Stetson. All right. See you all. Let's go up north to Pickwick and Gunnersville with Brad Whitehead. Brad, you on, buddy? Man, I am here. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, we have just come off a huge tournament on Gunnersville Lake, the Alabama High School Championship, and I am sitting here with the second place winner, my son, Nathan Whitehead. So we man, have been that's on That's awesome. High. That's great. Well, Nathan, man, man can, are you on where you can hear this thing or you can talk to us? I am. Yes, sir. I'm here. Well, man, first of all, congratulations. That's a really big deal, brother. I mean, in any time in any sport or anything you participate in, when you can say, I finished top of the state, kudos to you, brother. Congratulations. Sound like you had a really awesome weekend. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate that. It, um, it was a really good weekend. Absolutely, and uh, it's I know I know you've got a good teacher, right? So you've got a guy who's <laughs> who's 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 kept you in the boat from a young age, and I don't know. It may be to the point where you may be teaching him now. Well, let me tell you something. Now I've learned with these boys here. His partner is is Ethan Tedder, and 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 keep in mind now these boys are fifteen years old. I'm not taking them nothing away, but fifteen years old, two hundred and eighty seven boats, and. I figured out if you make them mad in the boat, it gets them mad at them fish. And uh, let me tell you something. Once they get mad, it's over with. Well, we thought it was over with. They got beat by point one twelve, oh. And, yeah, it, it hurt. It hurt. But we were in these guys' backyard. You know, we give them a good run. I'll let Nathan kind of break down kind of what they did Thursday. What, what they did, just to break it down real quick. The North fished on Thursday, the South fished on Friday, and then we all come together on Saturday. And they changed a few rules during the week, which kind of, you can always say is if, if, if. Well, Nathan and them was going into Saturday sitting in 18th place. So I'll kind of let him break down Thursday and Friday and uh, let him kind of break it down for y'all, if y'all don't mind. And Absolutely. Get, a, get his perspective on what happened and um, – you know, Saturday was a unique day. We were not blessed with weather that whole week. It rained every day. The wind blew. So I'm going to hand this over to him and kind of break down. And, and y'all feel free to ask a few questions to, um, you know, to get it rolling. 
and kind of get him in the right direction. So I'm fixing to hand it over to him and let him have it. Awesome. Man, that's awesome. Well, yeah, I definitely want to hear, you know, how you broke it down. But share with me at, at 15, 14, 15, 16 years old, how did you approach, before we ever got to the setup, you know, following a contour line, finding a grass bed, you know, you know, fishing clean, I think the biggest challenge for, I mean, I know the biggest challenge for even adult com- competitive fishermen is the crowd. And so these college tournaments and high school tournaments, they're exasperated. It's very popular. There's always lots of boats. And so tell us a little bit more about your, your first of all, your mental approach to dealing with. Uh, you know, 287 boats, like how, how did you put yourself in the right mindset to be able to not spin out because of the crowd? Well, I started off when we dropped in the water, I told my partner, I said, Hey, I said, if somebody's sitting on our spot, we're just going to go fishing. We ain't going to worry about nobody else. But we were running probably a close 45 minute ride down the lake. We blasted off from Goose Pond and we went all, all the way down to Brown's Creek. So, I mean, it was a 30 to 45 minute run so Thursday we started out we went to a spot some uh, teammates they had found some schools and we were kind of the closest boat number two to get to that school so we could be there first there was two other boats in front of us that was also on our team but they didn't kind of we shared waypoints and we coordinated the team coordinated really really well they unfortunately they did go past it which Fortunately, on the other side, nobody was sitting on it. So we pulled up there. We called both of them. We said, hey, y'all need to come up here. We just caught a keeper. I think they're biting. So both of them come up there, and um, we pulled up there and uh, started throwing. We started out with a shaky head, just your normal magnum finesse worm and an old monster. What we were fishing, it was a big island that come out at the point of the island where the current come around it. Big old ledge that went down, went down the side come up into like nine foot of water there was some eel grass on top of it and when it dropped down there was an open spot where shell bed is and after that it just got too deep to where those fish couldn't stay that deep so there was an open spot there that everybody was casting at Mm -hmm. so uh we started there and we were throwing throwing and my partner he throws up there and this is on the first day i told him i said he was about to put down his, his uh old monster worm i said hey i said Throw it one more time. I said, I know there's one out there. I said, throw it one more time. He's like, all right. So he casts out there, and he gets about halfway to the boat. He sets a hook. It's a four-and-a-half-pound largemouth. I said, boom. I said, there's two. So it was a three-fish limit. So we crank on there for a little while, and we, we pounded that spot probably for a good three or four hours. He lost a couple fish. That was okay, though. We did capitalize on it at the end, but it was kind of tough there for a minute. I think there was a period where nobody was really getting any bites. Uh, we have a group text that all the dads communicate back and forth, and it just wasn't really uh, – there was no action really happening. So we uh, we just ditched the deep bite, and we just went shallow, and we found an island that had a bunch of eelgrass on it coming up. We did this – it was a different – it's a worm, and uh, you peg it, you put a it's, – it's on a spinning rod, you use braid and you tie a fluorocarbon leader to it, and then you slide a bobber stopper or a peg on there, put an eight ounce tungsten with a one knot flipping hook on there, and then put a small zoom finesse worm, and you drag it basically like a Carolina rig through that grass, and that peg keeps it from getting hung up in that grass. And um, we caught a, a bunch of our keepers there, and um, that filled our limit. We called two or three times. It really boosted our confidence, and uh, we were having a lot of boats come around, getting around us. So we called an, another team over there to fill their limit for the for our overall team to see if we could get the overall team award. Mm-hmm. We called them over there. They end up catching a limit, if I'm not mistaken, a pretty decent limit, enough to get them on up there. So we go back deep. Another dad had said, hey, we're still catching them deep, so y'all might want to go hit it as well. So we found a ditch or a channel where these two points come together, and there was fish down the ledge, just like you see all these guys that are grassing. Mm -hmm. Found them perfect. We're throwing a shaky head on. I'll be honest, I threw a shaky head the most I've ever thrown a shaky head before, probably. I mean, that's really where most of our big bites come off of. Uh, We pulled up there. We called a couple more times. We ended up with nine and a half pounds, so old monster, finesse worm, on a shaky head. That's really Q 
keyed in what we had. Which ended you in 18th place. Which ended us in 18th place. Okay. So we're going into so we're going into Saturday feeling we're feeling confident. Got a new boat captain. Got a new boat captain. Our, our other boat captain, unfortunately, he hurt his neck a little bit from some waves. So we, my dad had the boat captain for us. So <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, it, it was different, different boat captain. Hey, let me tell you. Let me let me let, let me interrupt this. Right when when the, of course the other dad, he's in great physical shape, but we had to take a beating. Now let me tell you something. We went through two gallons of oil. We got there on Tuesday. We got to practice Tuesday and Wednesday. And what he wasn't telling you is we had found 28 schools of fish. They only fished three of them on Thursday. So that opened up the field for a lot of fishing on Saturday. Mm -hmm. But I told them, I said, boys, y'all know, you watch these videos. These professionals, once they find a school of fish, especially on Gunnersville, now, mind you, there's probably, I'm going to say between five and 600 boats on Gunnersville that particular Saturday. God. You don't leave fish. You don't leave fish. You mm -hmm. you stay there, you grind it out, and I, I'm going to let him finish the day for Saturday. But I, I told him, I said, once we, once we catch three fish, we're going to stay on a scoop. We're not leaving. I don't care how mad y'all get. If we can see them, we're going to set on them. So I'm going to let him finish the story on Saturday. They were so mad at me they couldn't see straight. But bringing in 15 pounds, the old smile with a 7'3 large mouth, <laughs> they were, I, I become the favorite dad after yeah, that. Did. Because, um, you know, well, I'll let him finish this right quick for you guys, and uh, I'll pick it up on the end. So hold Perfect. on just a second. Like he said, we started out on Saturday with a new boat captain. We had a little bit different mindset. Like he said, we were going to sit on a spot. We had to sit on it, grind it out. Uh, we made a big, long run that morning and hit the grass again, but we weren't able to really capitalize on the bite there. It kind of died off there on Saturday. Uh, the weather was different. The wind changed. They were moving a whole lot more current. So we're going up to another spot, another shell bed, had, some, had a ledge on it. I called a keeper. I told him, I said, all right, we got one in the box. Let's keep on going. So we hit another spot. We pull up there. And um, we, I ended up catching like a three-pounder on, on a shaky head out of it. And there was some structure down there. And I think some bait fish were hanging around it. And the bigger fish were kind of moving on it. And which it was on a ledge. But it would um, we were throwing in like 16 foot of water and letting it come down into approximately 23 to 24 foot. And um, we're casting and casting, and we only got two in the box. Well, our uh, coach, he sent he sent Dad a text. He said, y'all better find shelter. He said, there's some bad storms coming. So we get on the – we have radars that we keep on our phone to see how the weather's going. Well, we see it, and there's this big old red, orange, and just terrible-looking storm coming. And my partner, he goes, let me get one more cast. He throws out there, and he's pulling it back. He goes, I think I got him. And he sets the hook, and it doesn't budge. And this mm. fish all of a sudden starts coming up, and it's a 7-3 largemouth. So we're sitting there, and you can see the wall of rain coming. And the wind's starting to pick up. It's starting to get hectic. He's sitting there fighting it at the back of the boat. We finally get it in. We don't even – we just throw it in the live well and book it and get, it, get under a pier. And uh, we sat under it for 30 to 45 minutes. The waves were really bad coming over the back of the boat. We had the bilge pump running. And it just it kind of got scary there for a minute. But after the storm is really when they bit. We go right back out there to where we, where we caught that one at. We basically stayed there all day like he was talking about, from 10 o'clock all the way to 3.30 to when we had to come in. So we go out there again, and my partner, about the – fifth or sixth cast he throws out there again he goes boom he goes i got another good one comes up and he's skiing it across the top of the water like it's a two pounder we didn't even check it we knew it was a three a three plus we throw it in the box come find out it was close to five pounds and <laughs> yes. uh we were we were just we were clap we were cheering and dad my dad, he told me, he said, y'all need one more decent, y'all need to cull. There was a little one in there. It was almost three on the dot. He said, uh, he said, y'all need to cull that fish. I said, okay. I said, give me 10 minutes. So I'm throwing out there. I hang a good one. It was a, de it was a good bite. I got a good hook in him. Get it to the boat. My dad, he called the, uh, another dad over there and said, hey, while we're culling this fish, see if y'all can pick up a limit. 
So while they're doing that, I weighed the one that we had to call out. It was 291, and I ended up calling it with a 325. So it, both of the fish really looked similar. So we had to we had to make sure we were getting the right amount of weight out of it. So we had to get it. We had to get back to the boat ramp. It was a 30 to 45 minute ride. Like I said, we went way on way down the river, and um, it was on like I said a shaky head, some type of soft plastic worm that seemed to be the key ticket. And uh, when we got back to weigh-in, I told my partner, I said, uh, we might have 13 pounds. We might be pushing 14. We get onto the stage, and we put – and I see it hit 15. I said, this is the biggest bag I've ever weighed in with three fish. I mean, we were clapping, and all of a sudden, an hour later, we see we got bumped a second. And it really kind of hit hard when we got beat by point one two. <laughs> so Yeah, that's tough when you're sitting there for an hour. Like, <laughs> you know, your gut's just, you know, going crazy. And then, boop. <laughs> It, it happened. Oh, it happened. Man. Well, that's... Let, me, let me tell y'all something. Everybody talks about these bass fishermen. I'm not going to mention this guy's name on air because he might not want it. We were we had a boat come in, sit down about 60 yards from us, and he had a spinning rod in his hand, and obviously he knew what he was doing. He had a live scope. We could tell they were fishing a tournament. This guy caught 14 fish in front of these kids. And finally, I just said, hey, guys, what are you doing? We got to know, you know, what 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 is the deal? Mm-hmm. And he's like, look, you were fishing the same way you are. He said, you just got to have confidence. Well, make a long story short, we let him come on by us, and we come up the ledge. And before it was over with, he told us, he said, look, there's good fish on there. Y'all just got to keep your confidence, boys. And he give them about a 30-second speech. And when that boat left, it wasn't 10 minutes that kid caught that 7-3. And, you know, he could have come in there and stayed all day, and, and he didn't. And, you know, I hear these horrible stories and see it of these bass fishermen, you know, blocking boats and whatnot. But let me tell you something. That meant so much to me. I made Nathan call him. We found him on Facebook. Mm. I made him call him, tell him thank you for not blocking them, not, you know, getting in their way. And, you know, this this guy was fishing for $5,000. I mean, it had been real easy to come right by these kids, catch those fish, and keep rolling. But you know what? There's some really good guys out there that really treat these kids right, and, and kudos awesome. to these. What an exciting oh, adventure for, for you know, a 15-year-old. So where does that put you, man? Are you Does that qualify you for the national championship, or where where is your next step with, with this um, this tournament? We did qualify for nationals. Uh, we do not know where the where the late where they're gonna have it at. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we do find out, I think it'll be pretty neat. I've never really made it this far. We've won a couple local tournaments, but nothing nothing this high level. You know, it's it's really it's really just an overall experience. I film. I I got a GoPro. I've started a little YouTube channel. I film a little bit, kind of getting into that a little bit so it's really just all uh all an experience that i've really enjoyed doing throughout throughout this year in general that's great how, how did the team end up doing so what school do you go to uh muscle shoals high school and okay. we uh, the team didn't do as good as we did last year i really it, it was one of them deals you know you can't make those fish bite and i think like my dad said, some kids, they need a little confidence booster, and I guess they we couldn't get them going enough. Mm-hmm. The, COVID, the COVID stuff really messed up all our tournaments. Yeah. So normally Nathan and them, if they would have placed 18th on Thursday, they would have kept their weight over, and they would have won the whole shooting match if they would have, you know, did what they did Saturday. But they, they dropped it back to zero to give everybody another chance mm-hmm. to get in there in the top ten. So – this year, last year, Muscle Shows placed fourth. And this year, I'm going to say we were in the top 15. Uh, I really, I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't look at it after what they did Saturday. I mm-hmm. I just, we didn't keep up with it because we wasn't in the top top five. They give trophies right. to the top five. But it really wasn't a fair year for everybody because you've got to fish three tournaments to qualify for the Classic. Well, with the COVID stuff, they had to shut down so many tournaments, they let everybody back in mm-hmm. to have a chance to win. Right. And, you know, that's probably the only fair thing. I mean, you know, um, mm-hmm. this has been a jacked-up year, so we just had to deal with the cards that we got. We, yes. we messed up and went to Ufala. 
when they had six inches of rain down there and we shouldn't have done it. And that really, we were going into Ufala in second place. And when we went down there, we bombed. That was my fault. I thought Ufala, it was going to get cleared up. But we got down there and the water had come up four or five feet. And, you know, it throws everybody off. So, um, you know, we're looking for next year. We're losing three good seniors. Uh, We're going to miss them. Their dads were huge contributors to our team. Uh, One of them was actually the coach. The way the cards are falling now, it looks like I'm going to get a hold of this. You're going to be the man. You're taking taking the reins. You're taking the reins. We might lose half the field when they find out I'm going to be the coach. So well, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to tell you what. There, there's there's several things in, in this conversation that that have really impressed me. You know, besides just the fact that you that you had that that bass angler and you encouraged your son to look him up and give him a call and and hats off for that. That's a good job. But you know, one thing that that I kept hearing Nathan talk about is you know, we called our teammates to come over here. You know, we got our limit, and we said, hey, y'all come over here and get your limit. I mean, it would be so easy for you to sit there and go, well, I just caught a good fish, and we got our limit, but I ain't telling nobody yeah. yet yeah. until I call yeah. this bigger fish. Maybe I catch another four. Maybe I catch another. So there was a, there's a whole lot of unselfishness and a lot of team aspect that I heard going on there, and that that's impressive. That's a cool part uh, of being part of a team is actually viewing it. It's so easy, whether it's baseball or fishing or whatever it is, it, it's really easy to get caught up in the eye part of that. Uh, yes, yes. It's, uh, it's, it's not me, it's we, and we try to – I don't discourage, you know, you get your three fish limit, I want you all to get three fish. I mean, that's my main objective. But when we get three fish, we're going to start calling around and we're going to try to make everybody get three fish. We didn't think we had a chance as far as uh, uh, in the top five, as far as weighing in fish. We were going for more of the team getting first place than the individual. I'll be honest with you. I mean, we had talked the night before. Hey, I'm going to let Nathan uh, drop his, uh, if y'all don't mind, drop his uh, contact on social media. I hate to rush this, but, but he's got a couple of yards he needs to finish before it. Before the <laughs> That's what I'm talking hit. about. And I'm going to let him drop his YouTube channel for y'all and his contact in case anybody wants to reach out. Maybe there's some younger viewers that saw that or heard this that might uh, want to ask Nathan some questions uh, that might be his age. Uh, I'm going to let him drop that, and then I'll finish up with y'all if that's okay. Man, perfect. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. My Instagram is just Nathan Whitehead Fishing. My YouTube channel, you can just type in Nathan Whitehead Fishing as well, and uh, it should pop up. But if you need any, um, like on my YouTube channel, I should have a practice video about about Gunnersville. It might help you catch some fish. It might help you improve on your techniques. If you need any help, drop just send me a message on Instagram. Uh, on Facebook, my name is just Nathan Whitehead on it just send me a message on that or on YouTube, just in the comment section and just reach out to me and just let me know. Thank Absolutely, you. man. Thank you, buddy. And you, and, and we appreciate you taking the time to jump on here. Go get that grass. That rain here. We know it's coming. And good luck to let you. Me tell you. Keep doing what you're doing. He said, yes, sir. Let me tell you, we're leaving to, uh, to go to Panama city Friday. And he's actually been working. There's a company called Sea Power. It's a, it's a new company in North Alabama. And, and what they do, they actually, they're adding these harnesses to these depth finders that clears them up. Well, he got asked to come up and, and learn how to do that. And he's got a friend that he fishes with. And that's what they've been doing during the week, making these harnesses and rigging up boats. Some of the guys like Jacob Wheeler, Jason Lambert, They've come and had these harnesses put up, and he has absolutely loved it. He has got to work with all kind of different electronics. Uh, but, you know, it's like I told him. I said, that's fine. But when you get home, you've got a few duties to do, too. So it's just, it. if you're going to be a man, you got to act like a man. So uh, he's uh, he's trying to get some grass cut. But I, I do appreciate y'all letting him come on. And, Absolutely, uh, man. And and I'll tell you, I've got – I just want to say before we wrap this up, I've got a lot of teenage kids, and, and I'm a, around a lot of teenage kids to do that. And it's very rare 
that you get a kid that can get on and talk like he just talked. And so hats off to you uh, as a dad for getting him to that point. But he's a very well-spoken young man, and, and I think his future is bright. You've done a good job. Well, I appreciate it. Like I said, he, uh, you know, he's been around with me traveling with a crappie uh, ever since he was about six years old. He's probably been on 10 or 12 covers of magazines. He's been in catalogs. He's got his own deals with Lucky Crafts, with Slider. He does all that himself. It's pretty neat. He said, Dad, do you know who uh, who runs Lucky Crafts? And I said, no. He said, it's Brett Ayler's wife. He said, I talked to her once a week. And I was like, <laughs> really? I said, you just keep doing it. You know, he tries to get the pictures. They get them to do a, a little paragraph to go with the pictures. And, you know, one of these days he might not want to do it. I didn't want to burn him out as, as young as he is. But you know what? He keeps wanting it, so I'm going to keep feeding it to him. So, uh I'm lucky. I know one day he ain't gonna want the old man to go with him. So oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to he's I tell you what he's looking forward to. Uh he's looking forward to that minute tank getting put in that boat so we can go catch some smallmouth. So I'm I'm hoping in the next month or two we can talk about that maybe get some people up here to do some minnow fishing and, and try to catch some of these smallmouth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, that's great, great times. Next generation of fishermen. Thanks for sharing, letting him share. And and uh, we didn't talk much about what's going on in your world, but uh, we love having you on. But go ahead and tell the folks how to get in touch with you if they want to come take a fishing trip with you up on the Tennessee. No doubt. We're still doing a few crappie trips. I've got a guy that works with me. Uh, he's doing some crankbait trips. It is really getting hot, so we're only doing four-hour trips. Uh, I'm letting him take most of those. So if you're interested in doing a crappie's trip, you know, four hours in the morning, come on. Uh, we'll get you fixed up. Uh, be looking for uh, some advertisement for smallmouth trips. We'll be booking them pretty soon. All live bait below the dams on some of these shell bed bluffs. It is really fun. You're going to catch 40 to 50, 60 fish a day. Uh, you can get up with me through Facebook or Instagram or, hey, the old-fashioned way, give me a call, 256-483-0834. And, guys, we want y'all to try to get up here this fall and catch some of these smallmouths. So, come on. Man, we want to do that. That would be fun. Uh, we, me and Stephen have to make – I have never caught a smallmouth in my life. Oh, Lord. You need to do that. I've got a place you guys can stay. We'll go out, you meet Nathan, you meet some people in, in Muscle Shows. I'll carry you by where all the famous people used to do the the recording at Fame Studio. There's all kinds of stuff. So yeah, uh, That sounds like a good time, man. Absolutely. That's awesome. I mean, my first fish, uh, first smallmouth I ever caught is right there. You know, Brad, I don't know if you call, I, I grew up in Tuscaloosa. My, my family's from Muscle Shoals, and, you know, and literally the first smallmouth I ever caught was right there below Wheeler Dam, and it changed my life. It changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, you know, people come from. I ask people all the time, man. They come from, you know. I had a I had a group in here uh, Friday, the afternoon trip. I thought I was gonna die. Uh, they were from Michigan. Twelve people come wow. in. All we want to do is catch a smallmouth. Well, I, I we they caught some, but I, I after about two hours, they said, hey. Can we get in that boat and just ride? I said, that's even better. I mean, it is <laughs> amazing. So yeah. they were burning up. But, yeah, you guys, hey, thanks for what you do. Appreciate you letting the kids come on. And, uh, like I said, maybe you guys can get up here and uh, y'all can go back and talk about a good time on, on Pickwick or Wilson Lake. Man, Absolutely. that'd be awesome. Thanks, buddy. Brad. We appreciate you, man. Always look forward to talking to you, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, bud. We'll see y'all. See ya. All right, man, that was a great segment. Always appreciate Brad being on here. And, man, just refreshing to hear a 15-year-old kid get on and talk. Yeah, man. Like that. Talk passionately about it. <laughs> yeah, you know? right? I mean, he, he was hanging in there with the best of them. So uh, that was awesome. That's going to be a wrap for this week's show. Please subscribe, rate, drop us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. If you'd like us to email you the podcast, just text FISHING, the word FISHING, to 646-495-9867 and i will send you that show each and every week that's a wrap for today talk to y'all next week see ya
This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. If you're fortunate enough to own a lake or a pond, then I know you want to get the most out of it as possible. We all want to manage and grow big deer on our place, so why not grow the biggest, most healthy fish possible as well? Give Norman a call at Southeastern Pond Management at 205-288-1371 or just look them up southeasternpondmanagement.com and these guys know how to grow big and brought to you by sun south from outdoor equipment parts services accessories sun south has you covered on the best for less visit sun south or sunsouth.com for quality john deere equipment sun south for those that do and brought to you by fish bites ready to go when you are regardless of when you're ready to go fishing this bait stays on the hook and the fish stay on the bait check them out fishbites.com and brought to you by great days outdoors magazine become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save a bundle online at greatdaysoutdoors.com and brought to you by You Do Outdoors. Check out You Do Outdoors on your app store, Google Play. It's a social media app for whatever you do outdoors. This episode was brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. And brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344.